Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest talk, and this will be on small bowel and mesentery inflammatory disease. We had a recent series of talks talking about neoplastic disease, so let's look at inflammatory disease. When you look at the small bowel, as we've discussed, technique is everything. You can use positive or neutral contrast agents. More and more we're using neutral contrast agents, but for many situations, positive contrast is ideal. Surely in the patient who can't get IV contrast, we always use positive contrast. IV contrast is critical, particularly uh, when you're looking for things like bleeding, but it's always critical in looking at the bowel, and this is where neutral agents work very well. We'd like an injection rate at about five cc's a second. I mentioned positive contrast. Here's a patient with Crohn's disease. Very nice visualization of the fold pattern, the thickening of the folds, the very feathery looking folds. Here's a couple other images showing you also the mesenteric nodes. You can see in this case, the uh, positive contrast does a very good job, and we have very good visualizations. Now the issue with positive contrast is it does tend to obscure the mucosa and will obscure some of the interfaces, particularly to vessels. And so water is really an ideal technique. 1,000 cc's of water over a 20 minute or so period. And then when you give IV contrast, look how nicely you can see in the right lower quadrant in this patient, the area of stricture. Patient has had prior resection, but you can see a transition point. You can see very nicely the mesenteric vessels. In this case, with volume rendering in MIP, you can very nicely see the vasa rectum, the so-called comb sign in a patient with Crohn's disease, and areas of narrowing of the bowel, very nicely shown in this example. Now, when you speak about dedicated small bowel exams, people often use the term enterography. Enterography sometimes assumes you're using a technique with volumen, but it really just basically means a dedicated small bowel examination. It allows us to really look at the entire thickness of the bowel wall and depicts extra enteric involvement as well. So a very ideal technique. Now when you use volumen, there are several ways of doing it. Here's one technique from this article by Elsays, where they use three cups of volumen, 1350 ml in total. It's kind of a tough technique for patients to drink. It's a lot of volumen. We've typically been using two cups and then a third cup of water. Uh, there is some issues with volumen. Some patients get diarrhea. Remember, volumen has methylcellulose, which brings fluid into the bowel. The concept of volumen is very good. You bring fluid into the bowel, and so you can distend the bowel better. Uh, my luck with volumen has never been as good as some of the articles in the literature. Volumen is also expensive, and so uh, I think water works equally well in most cases. Uh, when you look at enterography, here are some of the classic indications, Crohn's disease, GI bleed, tumors, ischemia. And as I mentioned, we tend to go with 900 ml, two bottles. Remember, each of the volumen bottles is pre-mixed. We use that. Now, IV contrast is critical and phasing is critical. For most applications, when you're doing dedicated small bowel imaging to optimize lesion detection, you need to have arterial and venous phase imaging. Non-contrast is not necessary in our experience, and delayed scanning is not necessary either. Typically, we're going at about 25 or 30 seconds arterial, and then venous at 70 seconds. You can do bolus triggering as well, depending on your scanner. You pick a trigger point. 
depending how fast your scanner goes, if you're doing a dual source and the host study takes under a second, your trigger point will tend to be higher. For looking at small bowel trigger points, the level of the aorta at the diaphragm work very nicely. And again, it's a matter of tailoring the trigger points to your scanner. The trigger point will also be dependent on the injection rate. The faster the injection rate, the higher the density of the contrast, and so the higher trigger point ideally is used. And here's just a nice example where if you put the trigger point near the diaphragm, when you inject contrast and you trigger at about 270, you can reach levels of around 500 Hounsfield units. What's very nice, as shown in this case as well, is not only do we get 500 Hounsfield units attenuation, but the attenuation throughout the aorta is very much the same. And so when you do 3D imaging, in this case sagittal views looking at the SMA and celiac, there's a very homogeneous flow of contrast material. I think an important part of looking at the small bowel, and I know I mentioned this in tumors, is to go beyond the axial imaging. That becomes very critical. And I've often shown cases like this where the patient has obvious Crohn's and thickened bowel on the axial imaging and you have a certain amount of information. If I then go to coronal and look at the uh, visualization in coronal, you have even more information. You see the length of the thickened bowel, a little bit better uh, uh, understanding of the vessels. But it's hard to compare that to when I go with MIP imaging. Now look at the vasa recta. Look at the detailed information you see. Now with MIP, you project through the bowel, but then you go to volume rendering and you're seeing the bowel strictures, you're seeing the vasculature. And think about the type of details we have. Think about how much more information there is in this data set than there is looking at those thousands of slices that made the data set. So 3D imaging becomes very, very valuable. Techniques for 3D imaging, thin sections, you want to go with 0.75 millimeters every 0.5 millimeters, that's with 64 slicer better. Better scanners, still go with that same protocol. And again, remember to really make certain you design the protocol appropriately. So if you're doing a CT enterography, timing becomes very critical. Uh, in this protocol, you would need to be scanning at 30, set, 30 minutes post uh, initiation of the oral contrast. You can see very nicely, sometimes volumen is very good, and obviously the proximal bowel is easy to distend. Here's a normal duodenum. You can see nice wall enhancement, fluid-filled duodenum. And here you can see the small bowel uh, with fluid uh, from volumen. Again, if you didn't know the patient had volumen, you would think the patient had diarrhea. So again, it does have certain advantages. Remember, with water, one of the issues is that when water... Uh, is used in a normal bowel, it tends to get resorbed, it doesn't distend the bowel, and so that can be problematic. Volumen should do the opposite. Now you can see in this case with volumen, I'm showing you coronal views, and this allows me to make the point that I always make about coronals being really good and looking at small bowel, but even the non-radiologists find it helpful. Surgeons find coronal images more helpful than axial images for management of patients, and this was seen three to one, 76.6 of of surgeons preferred it compared to the axial imaging. Let's look then at some of the typical applications and let's look at small bowel obstruction. There are a number of different causes of small bowel obstruction and if you look at the numbers, adhesions is number one, hernias followed by neoplasm. And what questions do we typically answer? Again, we like to pay attention to what the surgeon wants. First of all, does the patient have small bowel obstruction or the symptoms related to something else? If the patient has small bowel obstruction, is it partial or complete small bowel obstruction? 
and if it is obstructed, can we determine its cause and can we determine whether or not the patient should be managed conservatively or needs surgical management? We can classify obstruction into simple and complicated, simple being intermittent or partial obstruction, a simple being also often can be considered prolonged, complete or high-grade obstruction. Complicated obstruction always goes to surgery. Closed loop or incarcerated obstruction, strangulation are the things we think about. In small bowel disease, we look at some specific findings. And when I look at the small bowel, what am I looking at? I'm looking at bowel wall, over three millimeters abnormal. I'm looking for enhancement. Is there an area that's abnormally enhanced, either decreased or increased? Something like ischemia can be either. What about positioning of bowel? Is bowel in a hernia? Is there malrotation? What's going on? What about the mesenteric fat? This can be a very good sign to show you something must be going on in the area in question. When we look at some numbers, 2.5 sonomies or greater is when we consider small bowel to be dilated. And we also talk about a feces sign, which is a great sign for looking at transition points. Air bubbles and intestinal content are proximal to the site of an obstruction, and you see a definite transition, and that's easier to show than to describe any further. We talk about small bowel thickening, and we talk about transition points. Let's look at an example. Here we're looking at small bowel. It's dilated, fluid-filled. You begin to see lots of what looks like feces in the small bowel. Then we look at it coronally. Look at the transition. Look how dilated that bowel loop is, full with fluid, but also with feces. And then we follow it down further. You can see the, all the loops of bowel being distended. And then as we follow it still further, we see that in the right upper quadrant, there is a transition point. And again, in looking at small bowel obstructions, the key is finding the transition point. When you find it, you can tell in this case that it's adhesions, there's no mass present, but it's not a tumor there and it's not an incarcerated hernia. So transition points are indeed super critical. You can see in this case, the vascular map of the patient very nicely shown, the vasa recta. Or in this example, another example of uh, distal obstruction, dilated bowel, you then come to the next loop, look at that perfect feces sign, you see where the transition point is, you know exactly with what you're dealing. And just a very nice example, and you can see, you know exactly where it is, you, know, you can tell a surgeon exactly where to go, and since we see no mass or anything else, this has to be adhesions. Remember, 75% of obstruction is due to adhesions. Another example, acute abdominal pain. Look at that uh, sort of tapering. It's almost like a beak sign in the proximal small bowel, and this was also small bowel obstruction due to adhesions. Now another case, when you look at this case, the first thing you see is a number of small bowel loops left up a quadrant, but what you notice, they're kind of unusual in appearance. They're dilated, but they're not enhancing. This is a classic appearance of ischemic bowel. You also notice the bowel loops tend to be encased into a space. And when you look carefully at the axials and then coronals, you recognize you're dealing with an internal hernia and a mid-gut volvulus. Decreased enhancement, abnormal position, you can see that appearance. Now, imagine if you were doing this without IV contrast, you might recognize the abnormal appearance, but it's so much easier when you give IV contrast. And you can see with the coronal views, very nicely shown, this patient went to surgery, the bowel was resected, this was ischemic bowel. When you look at internal hernias, again, its appearances become very critical. Here we see ascites, we see dilated bowel, we follow dilated bowel further down and further down. And then when you look at it, 
In coronal view, you really understand that the bowel is positioned in the right side of the abdomen. The patient is the opposite of the last case. There's an internal hernia on the right side, and that's what's causing obstruction. So very, very important. Again, this case also showed very nicely why it was much easier to look at something in the coronal plane. Now, one of the classic CT applications has always been Crohn's disease. CT is really good because active disease shows mucosal hyperenhancement. We see wall thickening. We can see mural stratification, which means seeing multiple bowel layers with prominent vasorecta, the so-called comb sign, and we can see mesenteric fat stranding. Patients with inactive Crohn's disease may have increased submucosal fat deposition and pseudosacculations and fibrofatty proliferation. They even can have strictures. But with inactive Crohn's disease, you don't see that very prominent vasorecta or the hyperenhancement. A number of articles, CT enterography has been shown to be cost-effective in the long-term assessment and following patients with Crohn's disease. It's cost-effective. MR enterography is being used more frequently because of the lack of radiation. However, the superior spatial resolution of CT enterography still makes it the initial modality of choice. MR can be used for routine follow-up. Even the European Crohn's and Colitis Organization, which is very careful about radiation dose, felt that CT enterography has the highest accuracy for the evaluation of patients with Crohn's disease. It's more than 80, has more than an 80% sensitivity and specificity for detecting small bowel segments affected by Crohn's because it allows multiplanar reformation with isovoxyl resolution. It's a quote from Parady in AJR. And he also makes the point when you compare CT with ileoscopy, the sensitivity of CT was 92% with a 100% specificity. Couple examples with CT enterography, very nice enhancement of the distal small bowel, and you can see the area of stricture. Look on the coronal view. It's much easier to appreciate, and then when you go from coronal to sort of 3D coronal views, you can see the thickening, you can see the prominent vessels, very nicely shown in these images. You can see in this example the white bowel, the enhancement associated, the hyperenhancement with Crohn's disease. And in this case, you can see the length of involvement. You can see the prominent vasorecta. And you really appreciate that and the strictures when you look in the coronal view and you see the multiple areas of stricturing in bowel, the prominent vessels, the abnormal enhancement, the prominent vasorecta, and here it is again with MIP imaging. So just a very nice visualization of the vasculature. And as I'll roll through the images, you can see the prominent vessels going into it, the multiple areas of stricture. Crohn's disease can cause obstruction and strictures. Here's a patient with a stricture with an enterolith behind the stricture, very nicely shown at the uh, circle. Nice example. And again, in this case, you can see the patient's disease activity with marked narrowing of bowel and proximal dilatation. And here it is in 3D as well. Very nice examples. And I'll show you another view in the sagittal. I mentioned about Crohn's with hyperenhancement. Here's a good example with MIP imaging showing you the impressive vascularity involving the right colon and terminal ileum. These are the iliocolic vessels, very nicely shown. 
You can see as we rotate through the images the thickening and hyperenhancement of the entire right colon. Just a very nice example. So again, Crohn's in terms of looking at staging, defining extent, and looking for complications are all things CT can do and do very accurately. This patient had Crohn's and fever, and you can see the abscess involving the iliopsoas muscle, nicely shown also in the coronal display. You can see it's hyper-enhancing rim, which is often classic for looking at patients with disease activity and for looking at the fact that we're dealing with an abscess. Now the next topic we should discuss would be uh, GI bleeding. And CT, the question is, how good is it for GI bleeding? And I'll tell you the answer, it's very good. I'll tell you what, I'll stop and we'll pick up here next time. Thanks.